Tim Zhu. I'm Sky Nicholson. It's me, Anderson Silva. This is Jeff Fenning. This is Showtime, Sean Porter. Hey, this is Eddie Hearn. G'day, this is Jason Maloney. Hey, I'm Nikita Zhu. This is Shotgun Tanda Connell. This is Liam Pyro. On the Punch Podcast. Yeah, let's start it. The Punch Podcast, it starts now with Jabin, and wow, what an episode I've got for you today. One I've been hanging to bring to you, and this is because I have the one and only Billy Dib lined up and good to go. Not only is he now a two-time world champion, not only is he now an author with a book, A True Heart, The Fights of My Life, you can get that at billydib.com, and I believe if you jump on the website too, you get a signed copy, so jump on there and grab that. But most importantly, he has a title to his name, which everybody that has to go through this wants, and that is Cancer Survivor, and we've got a whole lot to get to today with Billy Dib. We are going to talk about all of it which you can find in the book as well. So let's fire it up. Let's bring him in. It is good to see you, Billy Dib. Actually, it is great to see you after the six months that you've had. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me, man. I appreciate it. I can't wait to talk about this new book. And I think it's something that is an amazing read, which a lot of people will get a lot of stuff out of. But it's just unbelievable to be able to see you still sitting here after such a crazy, crazy, crazy few months, and it's just unbelievable. How are you feeling? Not feeling okay, man. I am uh, definitely feel blessed to still be here, you know what I mean? After getting told that I had six months to live and to still be here, man, is a, is a complete blessing. So I'm, uh, I'm just counting on blessings, man, and I'm just thankful and grateful. For those that are playing catch-up with this, it's uh, Billy around October was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. I said that right, I think. <laughs> But but look, it was just quite the ordeal for you and it was something that they didn't give you much chance of and look, here we are, which is amazing and we could go down that route but I think you covered it off on the main event podcast with Ben Damon so beautifully that it would all be be wrong to bring it up again because go back and watch that because the way you handled that was phenomenal at that time as well. Uh, thank you, man. I appreciate it. You know, I mean, as, as as you just said, you know, I mean, it's that all deal's over now, man. So it's only looking forward now, you know. What's in the rearview mirror is in the rearview mirror. And uh, now I just want to move forward and just live my life, man, the best that I can. Yeah, well, it's always awesome. And uh, how, how are you actually feeling? Is your health back? Are you, are you sort of, I guess, been able to? The last time I saw you speak about it anyway, it was... I'm struggling to get upstairs and if I record this podcast now with you, I can see in the background about 10 of them. So uh, it's something that uh, you must have to do regularly. How's your fitness? Yeah, nah, I'm, doing, I'm doing good, man. I'm doing a lot better. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not the best, but I'm a lot, a lot better than I was, that's for sure. You know what I mean? I've, I've managed to get to the gym maybe three or four times since I've been out of the, um, uh, been in remission, I should say. So I've managed to do you know, get in two couple of twenty minute sessions and stuff like that. Just you know, just moving around, shadow boxing, did a bit of skipping. My fitness is not the best, but I'm I'm getting there, you know what I mean? Slowly but surely. Day to time. Definitely, man. Time is the best healer, man. So eventually we'll get there. You kinda of live everyone does, I guess, in a rush. And when something like that happens to you, is time do you think about time a lot differently? Yeah. yeah, man. I look at it's, it's funny because I, I look at things a lot different these days, man. See, I, I think that I know you've heard the saying, you know, everybody dies, but not everybody lives. You know what I mean? So, you know, we all die, but not everybody lives. And the reason why I say that is because, you know, we sort of just make up the numbers, mate. We just uh, go with the flow. We don't try to make a difference for anyone's life. Everyone's just chasing their own tail and, um, mate, uh, neglecting what's important. That's family and loved ones and, then eventually, mate, you know, you get told that you're sick or something happens because so many people around the world are just sick, mate. That's one thing I've noticed that since I got cancer, like everyone messages me now saying, mate, I've got a relative that's got cancer. I've got a cousin that's got cancer. I've got a sibling that's got cancer. So like it's such a 
normal thing now, you know what I mean? Like everyone's getting sick these days, it's weird. So I think the best thing the best thing that you can do is just, you know, live live your best life and just, you know, be be a good person, look after people, look after your loved ones and just do the best you can. I was surprised at the turnaround of the book. So given what happened to you, I would have thought this book was probably in the works before the cancer happened. Is that right? Right. The autobiography was written um I started writing it in 2015 yeah. and I finished it like a year ago and um you know I was shopping around to get a book deal and stuff like that and then I, I finally landed a book deal and they took it on board and then um just before they were going to publish I got cancer and they were like oh we got to call the book back and I was like why and they're like oh because you gotta you gotta talk about this journey through cancer you know what I mean you gotta you gotta inspire people through this journey. They said this is gonna take your book to just completely another level. So let's pull it back. Let's uh rewrite the uh the chapter and um let's write this last chapter, they said, and uh we'll leave people hanging. So, you know, w- the book's been released, but you know, it doesn't tell you whether I'm in remission or not. Oh, okay. So there's there's less space for a uh for a comeback story. At the time when all this went down, am I right in saying you were trying to hunt for a fight with George Cambosis right when all this hit? Is that is that was what was happening? Yeah, yeah, that's what the plan was, man. When I took the fight against Jacob NG, you know, it's because he was rated at lightweight. I was a super featherweight, comfortable to fight a super featherweight as well. But I just thought, you know, it'd be good to set up this whole Australian showdown between George and I. And um, he he went off and did his own thing and fought uh, Devin Haney and stuff. But I would, I just thought it would be an amazing piece of history to have two Australians fighting for, you know, what was nearly the undisputed championship of the world. You know, what I mean, that's like that would have been maybe the first and the last time that will ever happen, you know? Yeah. And I just feel that, you know, George made the decision to go off and fight Devin Haney. And then, um, you know, then the rematch was on again and he didn't capture, didn't manage to recapture the, the crown back. And so, you know, that, but that was the plan, man. But um, uh, I had plans, but God had better plans. Well, you're still here. So that's, that's the best bit. And I think after watching, like I told you earlier with that main event one, it's just a phenomenal thing to see. So, yeah, look, power to you. You were making the shift to lightweight. Was that purely for cambosis or was that just to come up in weight in general? Yeah, no, it was just to just to come up and just try to do something at lightweight, you know what I mean? Like when I when I fought um NG, that was with the plan to fight cambosis, you know what I mean? And and you know what's crazy is that George and I had pretty much spoken about it. You know, we we sort of we we had sort of shared a conversation about it and um, you know, he pretty much said to me, listen, let me do the business against Tio. You do the business against um uh, Jacob Benjamin. We'll get it going, you know. And then uh, once he got back to Australia and touched down, he changed his mind. You know what I mean? So I mean, it's a shame, but at the end of the day, it is what it is. That's the way the cookie crumbled. And um, you know, unfortunately for George, he um, you know, he, he lost that crown to um Devin Haney, but you know, he's still in the mix. He's still doing things, and uh, I'm sure that he's going to be able to put himself in a position to get a couple of big fights as well. So we'll see what happens. I'm sure you had a few fun phone calls with Lou DeBella after that then, huh? <laughs> yeah, Lou DeBella called me a few times, to be honest with you. He he contacted me in regards to fighting George after he got beat from the first Devon fight. He was like, listen, we need to, um, you know, a comeback fight, a rebuild fight, and, um, you know, would you be interested? I was like, absolutely. Yeah. Let's get it going, you know. But then, you know, after he got beat the second time, Lou and I were talking about it heavily, and then I got diagnosed with cancer, and I was like, man, it's... That's on the back burner, man, because all I've got to do now is just fight this cancer because I've got to look after my family, man. 
Well, you do obviously speak in the book about the book, A True Heart, The Fights of My Life. So let's run through some of those fights. What are some of the key ones that have stood out for you over the years? Maybe the best ones are not so best or the missed opportunities. I would definitely say, man, like, uh, you know, uh, as a youngster, battling school and getting through the bullying then you like sort of transition to that amateur scene where I start fighting the amateur scene and then you're uh, sort of dealing with the racism you know I mean like there's like these you know there's moments in your career or the amateur period that I went through where I was facing racism and you know favoritism to other fighters and things like that and then the Olympic trials comes up and then you know the motorbike accident and the heartbreak from that and then moving forward in your professional career and you know, struggling to get an opportunity to showcase on TV early in my career, which was, you know, a bit funny. And then we finally managed to speak to Jeff Fennick and Jeff started to help me get on some Fox shows and stuff like that. And then everything turned around and I'd signed a Golden Boy and basically it was on every major card in the US for the next couple of months or a couple of years, I should say, which was awesome. You know what I mean? From down the card of Delahoy versus Mayweather, Shane Moser versus Cotto, Colazzo. Um, you know, Hopkins versus um, uh, Kelly Pavlik, Winky Wright versus Ike Orte, big cards. Like, just to be part of them was just amazing, phenomenal, you know. And then life is good, and then you're winning the championship, then you're losing. I mean, there were so many things, and the book reveals all, you know. I mean, I've, I've left no stone unturned in regards to that. What's it like to write a book? I know that's an odd question, but, like, you'd have to start to really think about what you've done. And do you, do you sit down with someone and they flesh it out? Uh, you no, know, you, you, you wouldn't believe it, man. You wouldn't believe it if I told you this, but when I was like um, 16 years old or, you know, bordering 17, um, Daniel Gill spoke to me and Daniel Gill was, you know, a very accomplished amateur fighter and I was on the AOS team and he was as well. And he said to me, listen, Billy, he goes, I said, what are you always writing for? And he said to me, I, I take notes. I take notes of things that are happening in my life and things. And I was like, he said, you should do it. One day you can write a book. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to do that, man. So that's what I started doing. So I started taking notes, you know what I mean? Like I wouldn't take them, I wouldn't take them on a pen and paper. I would, I'd write them in my phone. Yeah. I'd write them in my phone. And then eventually, you know, um, once I got my hands on an iPhone and I had notes in the iPhone, I just would constantly write notes and things that happened throughout my career, you know, fighting this place, fighting that place, things that would happen. So when I went back on, started writing, everything was there. I didn't have to ask anybody. I knew exactly what had happened. You know, I'm, I'm actually blessed because I've got a pretty good memory, you know what I mean? So I've managed to, you know, squeeze everything into that book. I've left no stone unturned. I've talked about everything, anything and everything that's ever happened in my career. Did you have any of those? Oh, should we put that in? Should we leave it out? No, uh, put it in. No, nah, 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 you know, like, you know, I um, I made a decision, you know, when I got sick that I um, uh, I wasn't going to, like, so, you know, before I got sick, I, I you know, I was going to, roast a few people and things like that in the book and then i after getting sick i made a decision that you know what i don't want to i don't want to be on people's bad side and i don't want to have any any enemies and i don't want to argue with people so you know what let me just do this book properly man let's not you know i've, I've everybody that ever wronged me you know i forgave them you know what i mean i don't i didn't want no problems anymore you know i just want to live my life with harmony yeah well look it's a it's an awesome book i'm seeing some little legs there hey mate look at that that's is, that, is that that's superman today Nice no, Spider-Man. Spider-Man. He'll be a uh, future boxer or no? Uh, he loves it, man. He loves it. He loves fighting. He loves putting the gloves on. We argue all the time about it. He says, Dad, I want to box. I said, Dad, I just, just put the gloves away for a little bit. Nah, he wants to box all the time. Do you allow him to touch your Prince Nazim doll? 
Mate, I don't. <laughs> I've got that hang up in a really special place at my mom and dad's house. It's not even here. Yeah, I've right. got it at my mom and dad's place because I know no one will touch it there. Because yeah. it's like a limited edition piece. There you go. For those that don't know, obviously, Prince Nazim, we know him, but Billy had Prince Nazim through the whole council fight as well, took a little doll and, and got around yeah. it, which is good. Let's talk about your relationship with Prince because he is just a icon of the sport, a phenomenal talent, name, guy. I mean, he's 50 next year. you hopefully be going to his 50th, who knows. But, um, but run me through it's your so relationship crazy. with him. It's yeah. so crazy because you're talking about the Prince and look what – I just got a message from the Prince. <laughs> I just got a message right now from the Prince. <laughs> Is that a bit weird? I feel a bit weird. That's, that's so weird. It's so weird. You just said Prince and then my phone just buds and I'm looking at him like, what the heck? It's Prince and Sam. What's he, what's he saying? He just, uh, how are you? Uh, he just, he just he, we always like, you know, send messages and, yeah. you know, he shares things with me and he's, he's always really, really fine, you know. And well, it's great you still keep in touch. Is there anyone from, I guess, those, that era or whatever else floating around that you do speak to? Definitely. I'd, I'd stay in touch with Sugar Shane Mosley a lot. You know I mean? I've got, I've got close ties with Bones Adams, Cl- Clarence Bones Adams, you know what I mean? So like, it was just, you know, I've, I've stayed close with a lot of fighters from, from that time, you know, especially, um, you know, um, people who, uh, who were around when I was, you know, yeah. while, while I was fighting for Golden Boy, you know, especially. Yeah. And I know you've touched on it, but no one's really gone into deep detail because I'm just for some reason just obsessed with it. I know it didn't end great, but the 50 Cent saga is just phenomenal. Like it's just as a young guy from Sydney who probably heard his music. Next minute you sign to him and boom, boom, boom. Like run us through parts of that. Like I know there's Man, for me it was like surreal. You know, what I mean to be to be a young a young kid from Ingedine and you know move to you know, move, 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 move to the western suburbs and then you know when when the opportunity came up to um you know to to go to America to sign with Gold, um to sign with. SMS promotions, or I should say TMT promotions, yeah, yeah. because originally it was TMT promotions. It was Fifty Cent and Floyd Malva they were partnered, and this was something that had been like sort of transpiring over years. It didn't. It wasn't like a overnight thing. It all started when I fought on the undercard of Oscar De La Hoya versus Floyd Malva, and um, uh, Floyd Malva had a monitor up, obviously, you know, in his change room, and he was watching the preliminary fights. And of course, I was one of the preliminary fights, and he was, I guess, you know, he was like, "Man, this kid's got a good style," you know what I mean? And so, after he beat Oscar and he was walking back to the change room, he noticed me, and he's like, "Oh man, this is this kid's the future of boxing." I was like, "Me?" And he's like, "Yeah, I seen you fight on the screen, and you know, you got great movement, good speed, and you got great eyes." And I was like, "Well, thank you so much for it. That means a lot." And then he said to me, "When are you a free agent?" And I was like, "I've got a couple of years left on my contract." And he's like, "Well." Make sure you come see me when you finish with Golden Boy. And I was like, wow, that's that's awesome, man. And so then, you know, years later passed, and obviously I didn't see Floyd for, for some time. And then in 2011, I become champion of the world, IBF champion of the world. And when I seen Floyd was like 2006, he sort of kept tabs, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so once once I, um, uh, I went back to America after becoming champion of the world for a holiday, and then I went to Madison Square Garden, um, MGM Grand to watch the walk-ins of um, Floyd Malva versus uh, Victor Ortiz. And uh, while I was there, you know, one of my friends, paid, Baby Pete Matrevsky, was there. And he was like, hey, Floyd, as Floyd was walking past. And Floyd's like, he's like, Billy Dibbs, champion of the world now. And he's like, you champion now? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, Man, I will, we'll be in touch. And I was like, do you need my phone number? And he's like, no, <laughs> well, I'll get it. Don't worry. You know, and then we took a photo and then. I didn't. I didn't think anything of it. I didn't. I just thought, you know, he was talking. I'd never hear from him. And then 
you know, shortly after that, we actually heard from 50 Cent and Floyd and they would want, flew me over to the, um, to the US to, um, to catch up. But Floyd had been incarcerated. It's all in the book, man, the whole thing. But, you know, everything was really cool, man, at the start. You know what I mean? Like, it was, it was cool at the start. I was like, we're hanging out with Floyd and, you know, I mean, sorry, with 50 and, you know, cars and Lamborghinis and um, Bentleys and Rolls Royces. And it, like, it was unbelievable, man. But, you know, it all crashed and burned, you know what I mean? It all crashed and burned quick. Yeah, but that would have been right around to the time of him being like having hit singles at the time too, right? When I signed with him, he had just done that really big um, thing with, with Alicia Keys, yeah. you know what I mean? So um, it was, it was he just done that song with Alicia Keys, which was awesome. And, um, uh, you know, it was like a big hit and he was like back on the charts, you know what I mean? So like I remember walking through a lobby with him and people were like, man, there goes 50 Cent and Drake. And I'm like, nah. <laughs> He's like, nah, that ain't, that ain't Drake, that's Billy Dib, you know what I mean? It's like, we, we, I mean, look, at the end of the day, you know, it's all part of the memory bank, man. We had good times, you know what I mean? Even though it didn't end so well, we had good times. You know, I mean, you you can't always think about the bad stuff. You got to be able to, you know, live off the good stuff too. Yeah, and if you are, I guess, writing a book, what a hell of a chapter, right? Like it's uh... sure, man. It's it's definitely in the book. You know, the whole the whole the whole um saga with Fifty Cent and Floyd and everything like that. And you know, the fact that Fifty and Floyd fell apart. You know, I mean, that had nothing to do with me. You know, I mean, that was just their own beef. You know, what I mean, but to get caught up in the middle of it was pretty ugly. Did 50 send the uh, St. George Dragons a bunch of headphones? Did that happen? Yeah. So what happened was is uh, <laughs> uh, we, we were really close with Jamie Soward at the time. Yeah. You know, and um, and Jamie, we, we were hooking Jamie up with the SMS headphones and stuff like that, which was really cool. And then he, he I think he uh, might have had a little surprise for you in the boot of a car as well. Yeah, man. Well, that's <laughs> when I first signed to him, um, uh, you know, he gave me a bonus and um, he pretty much asked me to come outside and, and we went outside and he opened up the boot of this Rolls Royce and he had a bag and he pulled like tipped whatever was in the bag out. You know what I mean? And he had some uh he had some uh nice gold watches in there, diamond watches, a couple of bricks of money, a couple of other things, you know what I mean? But yeah. it was it was cool when he picked up one of the bricks and just passed it to me. Some of the other great names I guess you would have crossed paths with in the time. Mike Tyson be one of those. He was been heckling you, boxing and whatever else. Did you, did you yeah. go to his house? Because I know like Phoenix taken. I, I didn't I, I didn't go to his house to be honest with you. I spent like close to six weeks with Mike, but it was in the hotel. Yeah, we were right. staying in a hotel called um, the Aladdin's Hotel, which is now called um, uh, um, they've changed it to Planet Hollywood. Yeah. So Planet Hollywood now, what previously used to be the Aladdin Hotel, and um, that basically, um, you know, the foyer of the Aladdin Hotel had um, a boxing ring set up in it, and you know, he was like, he was like, um, you know, hitting the pads and doing all these really cool things for the crowd and stuff like, you know, what I mean, so. It was a great experience, I could say. That would have, yeah. Like, it's, it's, I'm obsessed with him. I met him once very, very, very briefly. I remember shaking his hand, and it was a bit like, would you be right in saying it's a bit soft? Like, it's like a big bear claw? That's what I felt like it was. And he was like... My experiences with Mike was awesome, you know. I mean, I'm so grateful to Jeff Hennig for, for um, putting that together for me, you know. And, like, for allowing me to come on that camp with him and... What an unbelievable, unbelievable, um, uh, you know, situation to be in at, at the age of twenty-one. You know, I mean, and obviously that's what led to me getting signed by Golden Boy because, you know, I was a, I was one of the kids, man. I was a wheeler and a dealer. You know, <laughs> like I, I chased my dreams. You know, I mean, I made things happen. So when I when I went to a final, I took a disc with me with um some highlights and stuff and 
gave it to Eric Gomez. And then I caught up with somebody who knew Shane Mosley, gave him a disc. So I was chasing it, man. I was like, I never sat back and thought, okay, I'll just, you know, work my way up the ladder and then I'll eventually get there. My my whole thing was, no, nah, I need to get there, man, and I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to knock on the doors. I'm going to break the doors down. I'm going to break the barriers. i got to do whatever i got to do to get to the top and I'm going to get there. There is a marketing side to boxing, isn't there? Like talent's one thing, uh, but there are the connections and the networking and then the marketing is what ultimately got you all of that stuff. How was your relationship yeah. with uh, Golden Boy himself, Oscar De La Hoya? Uh, it was awesome, man. I had a great time with, you know, I, n- I never fell out with Oscar. I never fell out with Bernard or Shane. We always had such a great relationship, you know what I mean? That was such a that was such a professional network, you know what I mean? They made everything possible. They, um, you know, I, I even got to go to Puerto Rico to do training camp with, for, with Oscar when he got ready for Floyd, you know, which was amazing, man, to be, you know, to be training alongside De La Hoya, you know what I mean, was just, wow, what can I say, man? You know, one of the greatest of all time, you know what I mean? So I was like witness to some really good sparring sessions between Oscar De La Hoya and Shane Mosley, you know what I mean? They were awesome. Yeah. I actually weirdly watched on YouTube the other night the uh, Oscar De La Hoya Floyd Mayweather fight. It's, it was phenomenal, the one at MGM. It was yeah. maybe not so much when, for Oscar. When we, were there, when we were there live, we actually felt, we actually felt that maybe De La Hoya pulled it off because mm. – you know, De La Hoya was um, putting a lot of pressure and, like, hitting him, like, you know, and Floyd was just so clever, man. But then, you know, when when, he, when the fight was over, I was like, man, Floyd didn't win that fight. Oscars won for sure, you know what I mean? And when they said split decision to Floyd Malva, I was like, well, man, that's like, okay, I don't get it, you know what I mean? But then when you watch it back, you know, you can make a case that Floyd won it as well. Yeah. How do you think he's going to go this weekend with uh, Ryan Garcia versus Tank Davis? I think um, – uh, I think Garcia is going to get his lights turned out. You know what I mean? I don't know. I, look, I like Garcia, man. Yeah. But I just feel like he, you know, when he punches, he, he, you know, he's not protecting his chin. And you know what? Um, Javante's got such good timing and he's been active. Like Javante's been that active now. And so I feel like, you know, he's just going to land one of those shots. You know what I mean? That he lands. And I know uh, Ryan showed some like, you know, susceptibility when he got caught by Campbell. So who knows, you know, if, if uh, Javante lands that kind of a shot, does he get back up? Who knows? It's such an interesting fight, though, which I obviously that's why it's going to be a, a big pay-per-view because <laughs> everyone wants to see it. But you really, like, I, I'm with you. I think that you've got Javante getting it done, but I just can't see how he loses, but I don't know how Ryan wins. But I don't yeah. see, like it's weird. Now, can I just say, I'm sure you would have you seen this fight, which happened a long time ago, which was De La Hoya versus Shane Mosley, yep. the, the first fight. Yep. That was two guys around the same age as Ryan Garcia and Javante Davis. That's a sight, like same sort of fight, you know what I mean? Except one of them is a southpaw. You got, you know, because Ryan's got that really good boxing, you know what I mean, like pedigree, mm. and then Javante's got that good boxing pedigree as well. But he's a, like he just cracks, man. He's got Mike Tyson power, you know what I mean? It's like for a little guy, he's damaging, you know. So. I know, man. It's going to be a great fight. I know, I know the whole world's going to be stopping to watch that, man. That's, that's one of them fights that just stops the world. Yeah, and it's rare these days to get those, so it's going to be unbelievable. Well, what's your plans for boxing now? Are you getting your health back? And are you going to look potentially to get back in the ring, or is that done now? Or, or what are you thinking? I, I don't know, man. I haven't, I haven't, uh, you know, I haven't put the curtains down on anything yet. You know, what yep. I mean, I'm just waiting to see how I feel, but. At this stage right now, I'm, I'm managing um, a young fighter by the name of Mourinho Fatih, you know, who's a really, really good talent from um, – uh, he's Moroccan and um, he's now living in Australia and I'm managing him. He's 3-0 and I think that this kid definitely has the goods to become champion of the world. So, you know, um, that's 
sort of the path that I want to go down as well is like looking after a couple of good fighters, some special fighters, and then hopefully see what I can do to maybe mentor them to the top. You can load your boot up with stacks of cash and watches and take them for a little walk. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> right uh, that's just not going to happen. But, you know, um, uh, no, nah, I mean, look, you know, um, we'll just see what happens. But, you know, the other thing that I want to do is I want to, you know, start um, sort of hitting the circuit and start doing some keynote speaking and um, just, you know, travel the world and, you know, visit schools and, you know, businesses and companies and just sort of like try to um, motivate people to, to do their best work and just chase their dreams and do whatever they got to do to get there. Yeah, we're looking forward to seeing that take off. And um, I guess just quickly before we go, I do know obviously uh, Haney and Lomachenko is coming up. I always wonder about someone like Devin Haney in the lead up to that fight. Is like, as you know, obviously you're in the middle of Ramadan. How do you fuel your body and train without being able to... Man, it's very hard, man. But it just it's a it's just a discipline, you know what I mean? It's just that discipline. I mean, it teaches you discipline and um, you know, obviously it definitely helps with the with cutting the weight, you know what I mean? And that's that's one thing that it helps with. But um I think um, you know, I mean Devin's a professional man. They know what they know what they're doing, you know what I mean? And I, I, even though Lemonchenko once upon a time was amazing, I don't know if he's gonna be able to do what he can do against, you know, Devin Haney because you know, Devin's is a special kind of talent, you know. I mean, and I, I think we saw just how special he was in, in shutting George Combos down so easily, you know. Because George is a pretty good guy, man, pretty good fighter. You know? I mean, he he's fast, he moves well, you know, but he just had no answers for Devin. Yeah, well, we're going to uh, see if he stays at lightweight as well. They're saying that he's going to do another one after this, but I saw him sort of just squeeze into the George Cambosis fight, and I'm imagining he's going to be doing just the same with Loma. He was looking pretty gaunt the last time I saw him weigh in at uh, Rod Laver. Yeah. He had the yeah. sunken eyes and everything else, and then uh, we'll see how he goes. Yeah, he's definitely. He's not a small guy, man. He's a big boy, you know what I mean? So to make lightweight, he's a, he's a tough task, man, but it just shows you he's a, he's a true professional, you know what I mean? He gets it done. Yeah. He gets it done. Yeah, no excuses. He doesn't have the temptation of uh, the Lakemba Ramadan La Night Market. Nah, <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> that's uh, that's where I'd be if I was uh, Devin Haney right now. But um, look, uh, we always uh, appreciate you jumping on the Punch Podcast, Billy Deeb. It's, uh, it's always a pleasure, buddy. Thank you very much, man. Thank you for your time, and I appreciate you guys. And yeah, man, all the very best to you all. Tell the Prince Nazim I said g'day. I will do. You take care. God bless. There you go. Billy Dib. What a guy. What a great story. And uh, one you can read, A True Heart, The Fights of My Life, Billy Dib's autobiography, available now at billydib.com. You can also follow him on Instagram, at billydib as well, and uh, go and check out a lot of the stuff we spoke about today is documented fully there on his Instagram as well, so you'll get all the photos for it as well. A true warrior and uh, a great guy as you can see thanks for listening to today's episode share it to someone that's your job today like it subscribe it and leave a comment on the apple podcast platform if you could do that for me that would be amazing but that is the punch podcast and i will catch you next time (laughs) 